my name is Elizabeth Joan Russell and, and I was born on the 28th of September 1927, Shepparton Road, Victoria Park, um, a suburb of Perth. My parents lived in Welshpool, uh, that was a suburb alongside of Victoria Park. Grandparents, migrants from England, they had a, a baby boy, about 10-ish, called James, and, and two more after that, both died at either at birth or in the first year of year of living, some bronchial trouble, and, and which was rife in those years in northern England. My grandmother was pregnant again for the fourth and last time, and that's when and that's when my father was born. And they had decided to migrate for a better life. All the men came. My grandfather came with this. Um, I, I don't know, 10 or 11 year old called James. The crowd he, the, his father came out with, they walked to Kalgoorlie, but they never spoke of it as if it was hard work. And they settled in Kalgoorlie and, and only dug for gold. My grandmother came out with sisters and neighbours and friends, not alone, on, the, on this three month ship Heaven knows what the food and what the conditions were with a newborn baby called Harry. And I thought to myself that I, I don't think I could have ever done that. Three months on a ship to this strange, strange land that nobody knew anything about. And they spent the first uh, years at Kalgoorlie. But um, they did come down to um, Perth because certainly had not succeeded in digging for gold himself had worked for the mine and whether they knew what was wrong with his health. It was lung cancer, but he did live quite some years with it. And they bought this home, the corner of John Street and Welshpool Road and with a small poultry farm. And that's where my father then um, finished with primary school in Kalgoorlie and went to Perth Boys School and he became um, as a young teenage boy, he became permanent in the state government and the job was in the education department in Treasury Building. Treasury Building is still in Perth today. He was well known. Uh, all teachers would, would uh, I think he knew them all by name. Bear in mind, Perth was a very small place in those days, 1927, compared to what it is now. My other grandparents, they were very proud of the fact that he was in the railways in Britain and and he put in for a job, well, migration, as a, as a station master in Western Australia and got it. And, and so he came out and got and, and went straight into, with his wife and three children, my mother one of them, and, they, and, and he went straight into employment. These my, pommy migrants' grandparents went with with hundreds of other people. They all, everyone I grew up with had the the pommy accent. Uh, an awful lot of them came out, and it's a wonder I didn't speak with a heavy English accent because that, I was surrounded. My dad definitely enjoyed a beer, definitely, yeah. and uh, she, uh, and and her family. Uh, I don't. I don't think they were crazy about my mother's choice. 
She definitely was anti-drink. She was. She came from a strong Methodist family. Not a great deal of money, but jeepers, we were never hungry. We, um, he went in his 70s, and uh, and I, th I, I haven't got it exactly. I, I'm pretty sure she was the um, a month before she turned 90. She, she definitely lasted. A pianist she uh, was. She taught music too. Um, she played the organ at ch the church in Darlington. But before then, Dad was proud as anything of her accomplishments. And in their courting days, uh, um, movies were silent. And I've, got, I've still got the music there. And it's all labelled. It's not a sheet of music with words. It's labelled in Mum's handwriting, Red Indian music, um, mur murder music, love music, romance or scenic music. Uh, you, you, would, you would see the Red Indians creeping around and Mum would be playing the piano down the, down the bottom and Dad said that he would be there turning the pages of the music. But for her kitchen tea, because she had played music voluntary for so many different occasions for raising money, I suppose, or somebody's mm. wedding, or, and it was, uh, Dad spoke of it often, that he said you, they hardly needed a single thing to go into the home. And he, and he always finished up saying, there was even an axe to chop the wood outside, even an axe as a present at a kitchen tea. She had a lot of music, you know. And Joe and I never learnt to play the piano, even though the piano was there. My earliest memories were standing at the palings, open at, um, centimetres, with my nose parked through it, watching the children play. And it was magic. I, I guess they came over and, and talked to me. I suppose I'd be four then, uh, getting um, braver, I would and, and knowing them much more, I would, when they started arriving at school in the morning and the bell rang for assembly, I would be there at the front uh, with, with them at the front of the hall and, and I think singing God Save the King, but singing something and I love to sing. And, uh, and, and no, nobody could give me better enjoyment or in, entertainment, but of course um, the bell would toll and they would all march in inside to that magic place and I would come home. When I was six, a little girl, another little girl was born and when I was eight, the much wanted boy came. But Josephine Ann and the boy James, my grandfather was getting worse every year and he was in hospital and not expected to live when my mother was close to having his second child, Josephine Ann, and he said, I want to hang on to see whether Elsie has a boy. Um, well, it, quite a little bit sad that uh, uh, he knew that my mother Elsie May had a, another a girl, Josephine Ann, but he, he did die within those days. And unfortunately, two years later, the much wanted boy came along. And, and so there was great excitement that um, that ha Harry and Elsie had a had a boy, right, right. and and on top of that, believe it or not, there was a cow called Nellie, yeah, and that was our milk supply, 
And another shock to me was that, um, I suppose, somebody had a cow and of course, and it had a totally different name. And, and uh, Mum said that I came in and I said, they didn't call the cow Nelly, they called it another name. And I was surprised that all cows weren't called Nelly. <laughs> Honestly, I can remember putting, having the milk warm uh, on, on my porridge or, and, 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 be, and gone nowhere near a stove. It was, it was so fresh. And think of what goes through milk that I taste now. Think of the machines that it goes through and what it goes through. Hmm. I did start school at four in the end oh, okay. because, as I say, Mr Beach knew Dad, him being a state school teacher, and you knew they called each other by their Christian names. And, um, and in the end, he said, I'll let her come. Um, she, knows, she knows all the songs. She knows everything anyway. So I actually sat in that school at four years of age, very, very proud. And, and of course, these days, of course, you'd be at kindergarten, I suppose. Yeah. And when Jim was only um, tiny, photos, the, not too many photos of him in the Welshpool area, Dad decided he wanted to live in the hills. I think a little bit of his father and lung trouble, whether Dad had a host of bronchitis or something, I don't know. But that's how Mum described it to me, that he set his mind, he wants to live in the hills. So, and Dad had a car, um, which everybody didn't have a car, and he was looking for a house in the hills. And he, um, we fi he finally settled on Darlington. I'd be nine or 10. My dad was called Snow. And, and I, even as a teenager, I can still remember being with him and saying, good day, Snow, good day, Snow. No mention of Harry. And my grandmother d disliked it. He was christened Henry and, and we call him Harry. And he, and he played for Perth. And he, and he got 10 shillings a game. And then there was a fellow living in Forestfield and had a car and he was going to pick him up. Um, came to pick him up with snow ready and my grandmother said there's no snow lives here and he said oh I thought it was the first time he was picking him up he said oh I thought I got it right and he said oh well and he went off and so dad missed the ride had to race to the station and got to the field missed the first quarter so he got se seven shillings and sixpence because of playing three quarters of the game because he missed the, missed the quarter because of that. Yeah, no, Dad never forgave. And, and Grandma, that, that Grandma said, I don't care. There's no snow lives here. In Darlington, it's very, very hilly, very hilly. And, and the little track, it, now, it is now a road as a gravel path It was called Suicide Hill. It was weatherboard and a um, veranda, two sides and a front, and a, and a um, half an acre. Uh, that, so therefore the bush and wildflowers um, and boulders um, were in that back part. Into the third year at Midland Junction High, um, the powers that be decided to close Midland Junction School because the Japs were coming down. They, they were definitely coming down the coast. They said something about the line that Australia were willing to give in. The line from Brisbane 
right across. They were going to give that to the Japs. Well, that took in, Perth, Perth was right. Anyway, and my dad, but he decided that he wanted his mother, wife and three children up in Leonora. We'd, we'd gone there for holidays um, in the car as a family, especially with, with Gran on board. Got led to Leonora in a 1927 chef. Mum, Dad and Jim at the front and large Grandma, Joe and I, jo Josephine, Joe and I at the back. So after I had my last day at Midland High School and it closed and we went up by train to Leonora and Dad stayed down here. And my dad reckoned that somehow if the Japs got here that Jim Thompson was his name would somehow get as many human beings as he could across the Nullarbor to Adelaide. And, and as the years went on after the war, I heard time and time and time again how different human beings my age and at, and, and at that stage in schooling went to stations all scattered around WA and Kalgoorlie, but um, that was evacuation and it wasn't good for my schooling at all. So Dad booked me into Stott's Business College in St George's Terrace and we were back in the house in Darlington. So definitely short, short, shorthand typing and bookkeeping, that was the main thing, but it's definitely shorthand typing because when I went for the job in the state government, right, that was, and I passed English and history and failed, definitely failed maths, shocking at it. Dad could see what my life was like that age, back back from Leonora, going to the pictures with girls and going to 21st or something and always trying to catch the last bus to Darlington, how long it took. And he said it was time to move down to the city. So we moved to 81 Douglas Avenue, two years at Stotts Business College and and Dad took me up to the public service inspector in Treasury Building, a man called Mr Bond, and introduced me and I got the job at the titles office at 16 yeah. and I was there till I was 21. And they, they talked about this, um, the job they had at Canberra in the tax office and there was an exam to sit. And so on a certain Saturday morning, um, I sat for the exam so I could get this um, jobs in the eastern states, never been there. Anyway, the, the letter came t to me telling me how I did and it said I came 11th. And I was terribly disappointed and sad because I thought you had to come first, second or third. And three or four days later, Mum said, what, what happened? She said, your father would want to know. And I said, no, I didn't do any good. So um, I showed it to her. And she said, that's, that's, that's not saying. And it turned out that I was, I was 11th in something like 1,080 or something that had sat for it. So they set me up in, in the Perth office in, in Barrack Street for, um, might have been a couple of months. And the next thing is I got sent to Melbourne. And I didn't meet Dick that time. And I always say I saw his handwriting in files. R.H. Russell, R.H. Russell. 
long weekends we went we experienced Bondi for the first time and Tasmania for the first time and but that that was the time of my life so came back and had a few months here and yes there was a boyfriend they offered me another stint and uh, I went back and Dick had finished in Canberra and uh, and so I met him on the first day yeah he was boarding with a close friend in North Baldwin. We would have had an evening evening meal um, instead of boarding house and there, and that was the romance that started from there, right in Century Building at, at his desk. Right. And they, and they said, was Dick, Dick here last time you were here? And I said, no, no, we hadn't met. He, Dick worked on 11th floor. Our minister for Labor and National Service was Harold Holt always seemed to me a very friendly fellow, Harold Holt, yeah, right. uh, right. to be eaten by sharks, wasn't it, in the end? And one Christmas we, we came back definitely to meet the, meet the family and uh, uh, Dad and him definitely got on. Grandma's cousin or someone, she said, you won't be happy until you um, find somebody like your dad. I hoped and prayed that I would, choose, I would finish up with someone that they'd get on. Yeah. And the and the day um, the day of my dad's funeral, uh, we were getting dressed, ready to go, and Dick said, "Well, he said I've lost two dads," and I thought, "Well, you can't you can't do better than that, Betty." That's it. And um, and he he'd been discharged from the army, and uh, had time in Canberra, but um, but was there settled in in Melbourne. His parents, um, um, the, the father, my father-in-law, had always been a um, postmaster in his working life and his, his, his life was that he left school at 14, like um, bef uh, before the First World War, been a telegram boy on a bike, delivering telegrams, coming back to the place of work where the Morse code messages would, would, whatever was used for telegram sending and receiving and of course when there wasn't any delivery a, a boy or anybody else would stand around looking and sometimes try and sometimes give, get help from those that were qualified in working and it turned out that they were willing that he should have gone to night school and qualified to do with code sending and code receiving and so that was his job um, and so he went off to the First World War and and came back safely. It turned out that that played a part when Dick, he would have been called up when he was 18 but he joined up and his mother refused to sign the papers but his father couldn't do otherwise because he had gone and come back safely. So the father signed the papers and Dick joined up the army, in the army at 17 and a half. And so therefore he was well and truly um, out of the army service by the time I met him. I, d I do know that it always stayed in my mind about the dog tags that every soldier wears, including the enemy. and. Um, and on his 21st birthday, it was his turn to go out and get the dog tags off every, all, every dead Jap.
and that he did that on his 21st birthday and I, and much later married with a son called Peter who had a 21st birthday in our backyard with a keg and all the old school mates and I couldn't help thinking what a different 21st birthday father and son had but so so he came over one at Christmas and certainly met the family and everything we and we had a, a party and, and and the and we got married that um, in March on March the seventeenth turned out that it was St Patrick's Day, and uh, but we but we did get married in in um, St St Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Adelaide Terrace, and um, honeymooned in Albany but went back to Melbourne, both working. I believe it or not, I had to resign when I got married from the Commonwealth Government. Um, that's what you had to do. It was, it was the rule. You, you couldn't be permanent in the public service if you were married. And, um, but some chap called Jack Walsh called from Perth office called and he t told Dick of, the, um, of, of a job coming up in Perth. I was one month off having Peter and um, so I came back first with a doctor's wishes. Dick definitely got here before Peter was born. And that, and uh, and he he liked he always liked WA. So we were married in March '54, and, and Peter was born in April '55. So we're clear. We're in, we're in this flat, one four six Melville Parade. This Melville Parade was the shore shoreline of the Swan River, and and Como Beach, and it and it would would have all those um, uh, trellis. To, uh, to eat, you know, makeshift tables, and uh, and and that was what Como Beach was. Well, of course, that all went, and yeah. we've got the freeway, yeah. totally different. So we've got photos of um, uh, me just crossing the road with Peter after his afternoon nap, and just giving him a play at Como Beach, and then going back to get tea ready for Dick coming home from work. It was quite nice um, living there. We seemed to be on the move the whole time from the Blessed Sea trip, and um, and Joe, um, she didn't stay very long. My sister-in-law Elvie came over, and they they both went back, and so Joe, a single girl, went back to live naturally with mum and dad. Yeah. And uh, and we came back, so we so I came back as I say, pregnant, with certainly not knowing it was twins. And we uh, rented a home in South Perth, been to dis and get the X-rays. I I had to get there somehow, to get the X-rays to t uh, to see whether there were twins, uh, to the doctor. And um, my young brother, Jim, he had a car and he collected them from the place. Didn't went back home to collect his bag, living at home. And. Um, uh, and, and never took the x-rays out the back of the boot and they went off for a week. The x-rays went off for a week down south with a, with a bunch of boys that, that celebrate and, and mum was as cross as anything. And, 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 that, and the, so I went back with them the next week and uh, he said, yeah, to... Um, uh, I wonder whether I asked him, are they identical? I can't remember. And, um, so I got on the phone and rang Dick at work 
And you know, you'll never know what he said. That's all very well, but does Dr. Banford know whether we can afford them? And I thought to myself, well, we're not going to leave one behind because we can't afford it. <laughs> There's been a lot of dry, dry wit and unexpected humour from in, in your life when you least expect it. <laughs> that photo over there is, oh, that's why I framed it, is absolutely their personalities. And of course, she's always joked about being the f first one born. They were due on June the 20th and they came on the 10th. Gillian said, I'm getting out of here. And, and Susan said, no, 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 we, we, we've got to wait till the 20th and I want another sleep. Gillian said, and Gillian said, I've had it. I've had the scenery. I'm going. I'm getting out. So must it, obviously it was the 10th, early in the morning of the 10th of June. And yes, the water broke and it was ready. Peter fast asleep. So Dick went and woke up Peter, both of them in their pyjamas and dressing gown. And then because we, we didn't have a car, he rang Dr Bamford. Um, it was his wife's golfing car, Peter and Dick in the back and we were going to drop me at the hospital and heaven knows what we talked about, mind you. There was no West Coast Eagles to talk about. And, and, and Mum and Dad lived at Eastwick Park and that was why I'd chosen that hospital. And so, and Peter's at the back saying, where's the babies? So Dr Bamford would have pulled into the driveway and he said to Dick, you, you, take, you take the car and drop Peter off at your parents-in-law place while I'm getting um, your wife settled inside. And I said, he can't drive. And Dr Bamford said, oh, oh. And so everything had to be rearranged. And he said, look, I'll go in and tell them we're coming. And Dick said in the driveway of the hospital, when there were two twins about to be born, 11 pounds of them, he said, you didn't have to tell him that. And Peter's saying, where's the babies? Where's the babies? It, talk about a pantomime. We moved into Mar Street, 1959, with not much furniture. A bed for Dick and I, a bed for Peter at that age, and two safe cots. They call them meat safes. And that was Gillian and Susan's. But the two safe cots were down that end room and Susan is, will be the first to admit that she has always wanted more sleep than Gillian, always. But they'd, the twins would go to sleep in the afternoon and, and I'd hear Gillian murmur. And instead of going in there and saying, hello, sweetheart, hello, my darling little girl, and did you have a good sleep? I would always go in there, tiptoe in, and don't you wake up, Susan. Don't you wake up, Susan? And I never said anything nice to her after her sleep.